preaching through this three-part outgoing series on remembering the important things, I thought to myself, what am I going to preach on this Sunday? You know, I, I really, I, I was so close to just preaching my favorite text in the Bible and just going wild for a, for a week. But I decided, I, well, I will say I, the Lord through me decided, the best gift that I could give to this congregation is to spend my last sermon equipping this body and what to look for in a replacement. I don't want to leave you feeling like you don't know what to do. I want you to move forward together. Thus, we've talked about the importance of a shared mission. We've talked about last week the importance of a shared love. And today I want to talk to you about the importance of a shared search. I've seen it happen before in a church, a church that doesn't know what it wants in its next pastor. Or worse, half of the church wants a pastor like this, and the other half wants a pastor like this. Uh, Or perhaps there's unrealistic expectations that you will find the perfect unicorn of a man uh, somewhere out there in the world. Or perhaps your standards are so low that really any guy in a suit who speaks well is a candidate. None of these are good options. A church on the same page about who it will search for and unite together around the candidate will be supportive of the search team and will unify together as a body even further. And that's what I want for you. So, what are the biblical qualifications for a pastor and who is a good fit for Calvary Hills Baptist Church? That's what I hope to show us today from God's Word. So, let's pray over this time. Heavenly Father, would you use this moment. Lord, we know that ultimately these decisions are are going to be made months from now, but you have, uh, you begin forging in hearts well before decision time. So Father, I pray that you would use this, Lord, yes, in the life of this church, for all of us to understand what we're doing, what we're looking for, what direction we want the future to be. And Lord, I pray specifically for those seven names who will ultimately be putting this into direct practice. We ask your hand on this moment. May you illuminate your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus 1. That's a short New Testament book. We actually covered a little bit of Titus last week, if you remember. Um, Titus is a letter written by Paul to a pastor named Titus. That's right. And while Titus isn't as popular as Timothy, uh, there are A lot of similarities between them. Titus served on Crete, which seemed like a difficult place to minister, to plant churches. And while the role of a a pastor is certainly a multifaceted job, I can say that it is. Uh, You're really, I'm a generalist, right? I'm a farmer, not a specialist, okay? Though it's a multifaceted job, there's a lot of things you do. There are really three specific areas that Paul wanted Titus to focus upon. And these will be our three areas of focus today. So let's read Titus 1, 5 through 9. It's a shorter passage, so we'll read it all together, and then we'll slow down and hit each verse. Titus 1, 5. Paul says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, 
upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. There are three main categories in this passage that I want us to look over. As we look at God's expectation for a pastor, we see, number one, God's expectation for leadership. For leadership. I know from talking to many pastor friends in in ministry, all of us tend to be tilted one way or another. Um, As you know, with any spiritual gift, you know, between two gifts, you you tend to lean one way or another. Um, Most pastors are either tilted toward leadership administration or toward preaching and teaching. Rarely is somebody really good at at both. They're just different brains. Um, And I don't think anybody is perfect in all categories, but we are bent towards one direction. Paul reminds us that the pastor of a New Testament church cannot just be a teacher. He cannot just be a teacher. He must be able to work with people, lead people, settle disputes, deal with conflict, counsel people, and set forth a course and a plan for the church to follow. Some men love the ivory tower. They love to read and would spend 40 hours a week in study, if you would let them, only to pop out from the back room, you know, put my office right back there, and just pop out on Sunday mornings, deliver the sermon, and then like the little cuckoo clock, just go back in, and like, All right, see you next week. Some, for some pastors, that is a dream, to be able to do that. And I... I believe there are men that are called to that, that are really good at that. Those guys need to translate the Bible. Those guys need to be in seminaries, teaching students. Um, there, are, there are reasons to be like that, but that's not a good fit for the local pastor. Look back to what Paul tells Titus to do in verse 5. He gives two clear directives. Put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. What are those things? Those are leadership directives. Here's what Paul would do. He would roll into town. He would be like an evangelist. He would preach, and he would reason in the synagogues, and he would debate in the public square, and he would do as much damage as he could do as an apostle in an area. Sometimes he'd stay one day, and they'd get mad at him, and he'd run out of town. Sometimes he would stay months. He stayed in Ephesus three years. That was his long stay. And then he would Take a man like a Titus or a Timothy who happened to be on Crete and say, okay, buddy, I'm leaving. I need you to settle all this out, put it into order, make it look like church. I'll see you later. I'll send a postcard. Don't you feel like that's what I've done to you, Angelo? Yeah. (laughs) And then Titus would maybe uh, have to have hundreds of Christians, some Jewish converts, some pagan converts, maybe 20 house churches scattered everywhere. And he would have to figure out what to do with this, how to make all of this work. A good pastor has to have some leadership skills. I don't mean the best in the world, but some leadership skills, some administrative skills. Here's a good question to ask your future candidate. All right, I'm gonna give you some freebies, all right? In the places you have served, whether big or small, does there tend to be more chaos and confusion behind you or order and structure behind you. I think about a character in the Peanuts, you know, the, it's actually called Peanuts, kids. It's not called Charlie Brown. Just want you to know that. Pigpen. 
Remember that character, Pigpen? What was Pigpen's defining characteristic? Say it again. Dirty, right? He's dirty. He was always had that little dirt cloud following him around, you know? And it's like that little personal tornado of chaos that just followed Pigpen everywhere he went. You want to look for that in candidates. Is there a little dirt cloud of chaos that always seems to follow you around? Or do you clean up the messes where you've been? Does, does things that you're in charge of feel like the wild, wild west? Or is there order, structure, clarity of roles and responsibilities? Paul didn't tell Titus, hey, just do what you feel is right. Don't spend too much money. See you later. No, he said, put things into order. Next, he said, appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. Now, what's that? He's asking Titus to install pastors. Those words for me are interchangeable, elder and pastor. He's asking Titus to install pastors anywhere there's a church. The goal was not for Titus to be a circuit rider, riding between towns, and, you know, I can hit this church this month, and then I'll be at that church next month. That was not the goal. It was not to start campus churches of First Baptist Crete with Titus on the big screen being pushed out to all the campus churches. That was not the goal. It was not to tell everyone, watch Titus streaming online at home in your PJs at 11 a.m. this Sunday. Although, thank you for watching today online in your PJs. (laughs) Very thankful you're with us. But that was not the plan. That was not the plan. No, rather... The plan was for Titus to participate in church planting with autonomous churches led by their own pastors, elders, and leaders to guide, shepherd, and preach to them. A good pastor is one who inspires other men to step up and serve Jesus. If a pastoral candidate is serving somewhere and there is a vacuum of zero godly men around him, you should run. Paul had his Timothy, his Barnabas, his Titus, and Silas, and Luke, and you can go on. Men came alive around him and stepped up and wanted to serve Jesus and the church. A good pastor attracts and inspires men and gives them real responsibilities to serve. Another good question for a candidate, does there tend to be a trail of strong, godly men in your wake wherever you go? Are you investing in others? Do you give responsibilities away and appoint others to take on tasks? Do you feel threatened when stronger, more godly men than you join the church? You know, I had to deal with that because we got a lot of strong, godly men at this church. When Ted Wilson walks down the aisle and shakes your hand and says, I want to join this church, you better know what you're going to do, right? And there's, there's others just like that, great godly men that if I thought, oh man, what if he wants to, you know, take my job or, you know, be my, you know, you can't think like that. you got to think, what an awesome blessing that God has given to this church with men like Ted and Keith and Angelo and all, all the, Eric, all the others I could go on. Godly men know often who is a biblical leader and who is not. They know who follows the crowd and who leads by conviction. They know who is authentic and who is a fake. They know who is a masculine, God-honoring man, and who is not. And when the church has a lack of godly men, it can be a reflection upon the leadership of that pastor. So look for a man who, as Paul said, 
can set things in order and who can appoint elders and train men. The church will be stronger for it. That's God's expectation for leadership, number one. Next, we see God's expectation for character. Number two, character. We're going to reread verses six through eight. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. I can say almost for sure the most overlooked aspect of a pastor's resume is their character resume. What kind of person they are, their personal holiness, their godliness. So eager are churches to find a man who has the gifts to fill the seats and get the clicks online that often their personal conduct is minimized or overlooked completely. So do not neglect those reference calls. I know they're not fun. I know they take time. But do not neglect that reference call to call someone who knows that person. In our culture, we have learned to separate character from job performance, haven't we? I'm not even necessarily saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's happening. I'm sure you don't care if the barista who pours your coffee uses profanity in their personal life, as long as the coffee is hot and it tastes good, right? We don't. You may not care if your carpet cleaner neglects his family and doesn't show up to his son's ball game, as long as your carpet's clean. You may not even care if your president is an adulterer in his personal life, so long as the economy is good, military strong, Stocks are going up, we're out of wars, right? I know y'all have said that before, don't play. However, this logic, right or wrong, cannot be applied to the house of God. It cannot be. A pastor cannot separate his job performance from his character because no Christian can do that. No Christian can do that. Okay, so there, there's a lot of great words in this text. The primary phrase that really sets the tone for all other characteristics is above reproach. That's the one that sets all the other descriptions up. So what does the word above reproach mean? It means beyond accusation. Beyond accusation. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're sinless. We've all got our flaws. However, I mean you live your life in such a way that an accusation against you would be met with suspicion. That's what above reproach means. So, for example, I would hope that if a church member said to you, I saw Pastor Jared stumbling out of a bar last night at 3 a.m., that you would say, first of all, what are you doing at a bar at 3 a.m.? All right? That's number one. But second of all, there's no way, there's no way that you must have seen the wrong person I do not believe it. Hopefully that's what you would say, right? If someone said, man, Pastor Jared, he just cornered me the other day. He cussed me out. He, I, he was really aggressive. It was uncomfortable. That you would say, please, there must be some misunderstanding. If someone said, you know what? I believe we need to watch Jared. I think he's been dipping his fingers into the offering plate at church. That you would say, please, there's no way. I know him, there's no possible way. That picture 
is what above reproach means. You're beyond an accusation easily sticking to you because it is not in alignment with your character. And certainly, listen, every pastor, including myself, is capable of sin. But the definition of above reproach is that you have a track record where accusations should naturally roll off like water on a duck's back. Your Christian reputation should precede you. You have earned the benefit of the doubt. So we see next, he is the husband of one wife, literally a man of one woman. Now, for the record, I do not believe this prevents single men from serving, although many people prefer not, but I don't think you can make a clear-cut rule that says that. I do not believe this prevents widowers from serving as pastor or men whose first wife passed away and then they remarried. I know that not everyone will agree with me on this, but I'm putting it out there because it's my last day and I can say what I want to say. I do not think that you should seek a divorced man as your pastor candidate. And for clarity, I do not believe you should seek a polygamist. That one should be easier. And I do not believe you should seek a female as your pastor. Okay, please hold, hold to that. Verse 6 continues. He should have faithful, believing children. Now, 1 Timothy 3 adds to this picture, if you want a little more, says that if a man cannot manage his own household, how will he care for the household of God? It is a walking contradiction to have a household out of order uh, to prevent a man from being above reproach if his family has rebelled against his own leadership, because these are the people that see you every day. And Paul is not saying any of this prevents you from being a Christian, okay? It is a high calling to be a pastor in a church, okay? So it's not saying if you, you know, any of these things are, uh, that pertaining to you that you can't be a Christian. No, there's a difference between saying you can't be a pastor and saying you can't be a Christian. Those are very different things. It ought to be a privilege and honor to be a pastor, Verse 7 continues, a pastor cannot be arrogant or quick-tempered. You know, humility is hard to come by these days, uh, but a pastor must model humility. No matter how gifted he is, he must remember that God has given him everything and that this is Christ's church, not his church. A pastor must not have an explosive personality. Pastors need a long fuse. I hope that none of you could say, I blew up on you or I exploded on you. Or that I'm known for being snarky or snappy when I get pushed against the wall. I try to always be patient and kind with people. A good question for a candidate, maybe the reference of a candidate would be this. How does this pastor act when he does not get his way? That's a really good question. A lot of times you don't know somebody until they've heard the word no. How does he treat people who cannot, evaluate, who cannot elevate his status? How does he treat people who can't do anything for him? Verse 7 continues, a pastor cannot be drunkard or violent or greedy. I've said on many occasions that I've made a personal choice long ago to abstain from alcohol in my life. Do I think that you absolutely have to hire a pastor that's a teetotaler? No. But... There's an old adage that I want to pass along to you from my dad. So if you don't like it, it's not the Bible. It's just Darren Cress. He once told me, what a leader does in moderation, the people will do to excess. So in other words, I, I do not want to be someone's excuse 
to get into drinking when they weren't going to before or to feel that there's a bit more license than maybe they should feel because you know how people will do. If the pastor does it, then there's a little more leniency around it. So again, I've made a personal decision not to. You may want to consider at least asking your candidate what his relationship to alcohol is. He should not be greedy for gain. In other words, he shouldn't talk about money and numbers all the time or be obsessed with finances. A good pastor doesn't have to preach on tithing every other week to ensure the money keeps coming in. A pastor that's obsessed with money will create a church that's obsessed with money or hate talking about money. I've heard from some of you guys that you, that you love the culture of this church in the way that we relate to our finances, that it's not a, every single week you feel beaten into, into talking about the offering and, you know, and pressured and constant giving campaigns and things like that. Now, look, there's times for giving campaigns, but, you know, I've not made it a, a feature of my preaching to pressure people to tithe. I've always felt if you cast a vision for what you want to do through the gospel in a community, you, you set it out there, here's what, here's what we're trying to do. Will you join us? You all know that it takes money to do things, and you'll voluntarily give to that and say, I want that to happen. That church budget, I want it to be done. I want these things to happen in the community, and I want to give to make sure that it happens. That is so much healthier than just berating and talking about money every single week. If a church pays a livable salary to their pastor, I believe he shouldn't spend every waking hour trying to earn more money through various side hustles. Um, that's something we've seen a lot lately, so I've added that to this when I preach on this. Um, I, I've tried not to be a guy that you can't get a hold of me because I'm too busy doing my, you know, my three side businesses. Um, I believe that a, if you pay a pastor right, He'll give you his life and he'll give you his time. And so that should be the expectation. And then Paul says in verse 8, to be hospitable, meaning kind to guests or outsiders. He should be a lover of good. He should be self-controlled. To be self-controlled means I'm not governed by my passions or my emotions. He should be upright. He should be holy, seeking to honor God with his life and rooting out sin as a way of life. And lastly, he should be disciplined. We need discipline in our culture today, don't we? One who uses their time appropriately, one whose work displays the fruits, the obvious fruits of discipline. Listen, no pastor should ever give the impression that they fly by the seat of their pants or that they just threw their sermon together on the right end or that they're rambling in the sermon and you're, you know, land the plane, pastor. What are we talking about? How did we get here? What is this all about? You should not have to experience that because this thing should already be prepared by the time you get here. That's what discipline looks like. He should be disciplined in his preparation, his passions, his emotions, his devotion to the Lord, his time management. Search team, whoever you are, you're going to have to listen to sermons, a lot of sermons. And you're going to have to listen to, listen, more than the two or three that the candidate volunteers you. Okay? He will give you his two or three. Those are called sugar sticks in the, in the biz, if you will. Your best sermon. He'll hand it forward and say, here's my, here's my sermon. Just picked it off the top of the pile. Yeah, it's the best one. Okay? Now, what you're going to have to do, and, and what I actually did, I think, if I remember right, was I gave the search team my, the link to my whole channel. And I said, you go find one. 
go find anyone that you want. Go scroll, scroll 30 weeks ago and find one in the middle of, you know, between holidays and, you know, something that you're not expecting to be a big one. That's the quality that you're going to get every week. So don't just listen to the sugar sticks. Go deeper into the pile and find that one that is just the, the random week in February, okay? That's what you want to look for. Nobody is perfect. I don't want to communicate that you're looking for the perfect man because I'm not. I certainly have areas of my life when I, I can put my finger on as a weakness. Your future pastor will have weaknesses. They may be the exact ones I've got. They may be different weaknesses. The point is not to be sinless, but to be above reproach. And here's why I'm concluding this point. Here's why you have to, you have to hold to this. Because as a pastor, you have to take hard stands on moral moments in our culture. You have to be ready. Now, if your life is off the rails and you try to come up here and take a stand on morality, people will eventually sniff that out. And they'll say, well, you don't do that, pastor. Why are you on top of me about doing this when you don't do it yourself? That's why a pastor must be above reproach so as not to discredit the gospel, so as not to discredit the word of God. So we've seen that a pastor should be a godly leader, a man of character, and lastly, we see God's expectation for preaching, for preaching. I hope you knew this one was coming. Look at Titus 1.9. Love this verse. Man, this is a good one. If I was a tattooing man, I'd tattoo it on myself, but alas, I'm not. Titus 1.9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. You got both sides there, don't you? I hope you all know a pastor does more than preach sermons. He does. If you didn't know that, this is your first time learning it, I'm telling you, you do more than preach sermons. However, I do stand by the fact that the sermon is the most important thing I do. A pastor's preaching ministry is the bedrock of everything else. You cannot have a weak preacher and expect there to be no negative consequences in the spiritual health of your church. So what does strong preaching look like? Well, verse 9 says a pastor should hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Love it. First of all, you must have a man who believes the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God. You cannot, cannot get off of that. If you think for one second you don't agree on that, you, you get, move that candidate, throw the resume in the fire, burn it, and giggle while it burns. You cannot mess with that. That is from which everything else flows, okay? You cannot mess with that. You start hearing things like, Ah, well, you know, the Genesis stuff could be allegory. Or you know, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, next. We're good. Do not play with it. I'm telling you, I love you. I'm telling you, do not play with it. He must approach the preaching moment with authority. Authority. This is not a talk. This is not a chit-chat. This is not a casual group of friends hanging out, shooting the breeze. no. This is the authority of God speaking to his people, and it should be treated like that. I believe, and I would now say we believe, I'm going to say we believe, be a little presumptuous, in a method called expository preaching. 
That says that a preacher studies the passage in context and seeks to expose, that's what the the word comes from, to expose the meaning of the text as it was originally written and then to make relevant applications to our world today. I am not to twist or squeeze or pull out of context. I am not to soften what is hard in the Bible, and I am not to harden what is soft in the Bible. I let the text guide my tone and my delivery and my application. Whatever is the main point of the text is to be the main point of the sermon. And the outline flows from that main point. You should never, I pray you've never said this about me, but you should never on the way home, maybe you're talking to a friend or your wife or your kids, you should never say, what on earth was that sermon about on the way home? That should never happen. It should be so clear what we worked through. There's an obvious takeaway. Healthy expository preaching moves through books of the Bible and through passages from top to bottom. And certainly, there's a place for topical preaching. It can be done appropriately. For example, you may remember we did an Ask Anything series. I took questions from you and answered them in sermon. We did countercultural That is a topical series, but they were dealt with faithfully in context. But the bulk of our time, if you think about the bulk of our time spent together, it has been in books. I preached through Colossians line by line. We went through Acts from chapter 1 to the conclusion of Paul's third missionary journey in chapter 17. The full narrative of Elijah in 1 and 2 Kings, the book of Ephesians, the book of Amos, the book of Mark. A question to ask a potential candidate. What are the most recent 10 series you preached? What were they? I believe effective preaching ought to be bold. In fact, I'd say that's a hallmark. That's a hallmark of not just my preaching. but It's in the church culture now. Sorry, it's in there. It's a part of you. If I've spent time, here's how I think about it. If I've spent time in God's holy word, if I've spent time in it and I know what it means and I know what it says is true, why would I come to this moment and pretend like I don't know what I'm talking about? If you know it's God's word, say it with some conviction. And I think you've all responded to that. If God has told me what I'm going to say and I can point to the verse where it says it, I'm going to bring it boldly. Find a man who is not ashamed of the gospel who's not ashamed of the truth, someone who loves the Bible, someone who loves the labor of preaching God's word. I spoke on sound doctrine in point two of last week's message, so it's there if you want details on that phrase. But I want to ensure you, I want to ensure that you know the theology of your next pastor. Listen to me, and I'm going to say this a hundred different ways. You do not have to find another Jared, okay? I want you to hear that from me. That is not your job to go out and recreate what, who I am, okay? However, I will say this. You all tend to respond to a certain type of preaching. You would be best, this is just I'm trying to help you, okay? You would be best not to stray far from the foundation that has been laid, From who I know you to be, you would be best served by someone who is a theological conservative 
and given to bold preaching. I've taken a lot of shots at the prevailing sins of the culture, and you're still here. So you must like it, right? On behalf of our church, I have taken stances on LGBT sins, critical race theory, the role of government in our lives, reformed theology, the role of men and women in marriage, abortion, and many, many other things. And why am I telling you that? Not to pump myself up. I believe this church would be best served to find someone with similar convictions so that what you joined for is what you end up staying for. A liberal-leaning, woke pastor will not fit this church. Okay? I'm telling you that in love. I know it will not. It would be a disaster. So please, take that to heart. So if you're on the search team, remember this old adage. This is a Jared Cress original. The tighter the jeans, the weaker the theology. You just, you write that where you need to write it. Hire, <laughs> hire a serious man, a serious man, a masculine man, please, who takes this job deadly seriously. It doesn't matter to me if he's old or young. It shouldn't to you. It shouldn't to you. What matters is that he's qualified, biblically qualified. In this era of the world we live in, there is just no place for pastors who act like children and take more time on their Instagram profile and their tweetable phrases than in equipping the saints God has given them for the work of ministry. So look, we're at the end here. I've got a couple more things I want to give you, uh, final encouragements that are not necessarily tied to this text, but things I think are really important. Number one, find a man who will commit to leading a multi-generational church. One of my great joys as I've been here has been that we've retained almost all of our senior adults. Really, most of the ones who've called me here are still here. Conventional wisdom would have said a younger pastor is going to run off the seniors, right? That's what conventional wisdom would have said. But you're still here, and you love me, and I love you. Right, Miss Jean? Amen. That's right. Find a man who will love senior adults in this church and will love children and youth and young families and middle-aged families all the same. Continue pursuing the mission challenge. Quarterly evangelism opportunities, mission trips, church planting, revitalization, sending men and women to seminary and the mission field and supporting them when they step up to go. Next week, Brother Keith is going to bring an opportunity that we have as Calvary Hills to partner with a church plant who is moving to this area from, the, from Washington, D.C. to reach the military community with a church plant targeting between 1604 Loop and Castroville. We have an opportunity as a church to partner with them and be a part and help what they're doing. So keep your relationship with them in your hearts. Keep our relationship with India and our partners there close to your heart. Keep singing songs that glorify Jesus and tell the story of the gospel and music. Keep our songs high in theology. Keep our songs high in theology. And do not neglect the hymns. If I come back and find out y'all haven't been singing hymns, now it doesn't have to be from the book, but do not neglect the great songs of our history and of our past. Sing songs that honor God above all else. That'll guide you. 
And never forget, church, your first love. That God, who was rich in mercy, saw fit to save sinners like us by sending Jesus to the cross to save us. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow, and our fear is gone, and we know he holds the future. He is our hope in life and in death. And whether the days ahead of you guys and and of me are darker than expected or they're brighter than expected, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He holds this church in his strong hand. And nothing will happen to you apart from the sovereign will of God. And so may God be gracious to Calvary Hills. To bless you and make his face to shine upon you. That in us, your ways, O Lord, would be known on the earth. Your saving power to all nations. May this people always praise you, O God. And in you we will be glad and sing for great joy for all you've done and all you will do here. Pray with me.